teacher friend. Welcome to another episode of Simply Teach, a podcast for teachers and by teachers. I'm your host, Kelly Jackson. I'm a former teacher turned classroom organization and management coach. My passion is to help teachers just like you organize, manage, just love their classrooms. Each episode is full of simple ways to engage your students, stay motivated, and keep up with best practices. Because y'all, I know teaching is hard, but I am so glad that you're here. Hey y'all, you are listening to episode number 26 with Heather Avis. This podcast is a little bit different from my normal podcast interviews because instead of interviewing a teacher today, I'm talking with a parent. You may or may not have heard of Heather, but you may have heard of the lucky few. Heather is mama to three adorable kiddos. Do yourself a favor, go find them on Instagram and follow them. Two of her kids have Down syndrome and Heather travels and speaks and writes and advocates for her kids with different abilities. I wanted to have Heather on the podcast because I think she provides a ton of valuable wisdom for us as teachers. We talk about special education being a service, not a place. She shares her desires and what she would like to see change within the education system. She shares her hopes for how she wants each and every teacher to view her kids with different abilities. And I have a feeling when you hear it, you'll agree too. Also, I should say that that whole section I just read was very difficult for me to say with my SH sometimes speech impediment. That was like the longest tongue twister. (laughs) But you're going to be encouraged by this episode. Heather is for teachers. She reminds us to be for our kids with different abilities, for their parents, and to be open to learning. These are all really great things. Before we get started, though, I wanted to tell you that I may or may not be back with episode number 27 in the next couple weeks. I'm going to try really hard, but we're currently living in an apartment with a bed, two bedside tables, a side table from Ikea serving as our dinner table slash living room table. My ironing board is working as my desk. Y'all, it is a mess. Plus, if you haven't heard, I got a job teaching English here in Germany, which was never on my radar. So I'm trying my best to balance a simply organized teacher, working, setting up our new home. My goal is to do one more podcast before closing out season two, and I will try my best, but... As I'm learning, sometimes I have to shift my priorities and that's okay. Make sure though that you're subscribed on iTunes. That way, if I do release a new podcast, you will be the first to know when it pops up in your queue. All right, y'all, here is my conversation with Heather. Hey, Heather, welcome to the Simply Teach podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I am really excited to have you on today and chat with you. I've been following you ever since you were on Jamie Ivey's podcast. I don't even remember when that was, but um, I listened to her podcast. I'll go follow her guest and for a few weeks and then usually unfollow. But I've been following you and your girls while well, you have three kids, but mainly your girls and their dance moves uh, really ever since I heard you on the podcast. So will you tell us a little bit about your family and your journey to what you're doing now? Yes, definitely. We do um, we do a lot of dancing in our house. Our girls, well, our son too. We have two girls and a do- and a son, and yes, we are a dancing family. So I have been married for sixteen years, and um, about four years into our marriage, we decided to grow our family to start a family, and we ended up on this really awful path of infertility. We weren't able to have children naturally, and we went through about three years of trying to figure out what was happening. Um, it's a long, complicated story, but to spare all the details, we ended up that led us towards adoption. So we end up on the path towards adoption, and we have three kids who are all adopted. Our oldest is ten years old. Um, we got her. We found out about her when she was just a few weeks old. When we started the adoption process, we went 
private agency, we really wanted a healthy baby. And so um, we paid a lot of money and then we ended up through a series of events and circumstances, finding about out about a little girl who has Down syndrome and she had a congenital heart defect and this really serious lung condition and all this health stuff. And it felt terrifying. Um, but we knew we didn't want to say yes, but we couldn't say no. So we just kept taking the step towards her. And by God's grace, we were able to say yes to adopting her. It was my scariest, my best yes. And her name is Mason Hope and she's amazing. But she catapulted us into this world of Down syndrome that we had been in in different capacities. I used to be a special education teacher. My husband's mom taught as an aide in a special ed classroom his entire childhood. So we had exposure to people in the different ability community, um, had different people in our lives who had Down syndrome. But it was never, we were never going to have a kid with Down syndrome. That was never the goal or the plan. Um, but she changed our world and she's incredible. And then we went our next adoption, just arms wide open, any kid in the world. And we ended up with a little girl who had no, has no different abilities, no health issues. Um, just a healthy little girl named truly star. And then, and she's seven now and our son, August, we found out about him while his birth mother was seven months pregnant. She got an in utero diagnosis for down syndrome and a congenital heart defect. And she felt um, that the best thing she could do for him was to create an adoption plan. So we were the lucky recipients of that plan. And he is four and a half. He'll be five pretty soon. Yeah. So you said you were a special ed teacher for a little while. Is that correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. What was your role there? Or like, what did you teach? Or Mm -hmm. I had a mild I started with a mild moderate credential and then I ended up also getting my moderate to severe and I taught RSP at a high school it was my first job and I wanted to do elementary school, but in a district that's tricky to get into a high school position opened up mid year and I wasn't credentialed yet. I had, so they gave me an emergency credential. I was 22. Oh my gosh. And I was teaching <laughs> seniors. They gave me government econ. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. And Everyone like the question is always, how old are you? And I would just say, old enough to be your teacher. Um, <laughs> and I taught RSP for about three years, I think. And I taught every subject within RSP, which was so wild because it's high school level. And I didn't know what I was doing. Okay, this might be a silly question. What is RSP? Yeah, okay, RSP, it, they're changing it around different acronyms now, but this was 10 years uh-huh. ago. Um, resource specialist program. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So a resource, a resource versus specific. like inclusion type. Yep. Right. Okay. At the high school I worked at, um, the way that it was set up is if a child had, there's six periods, it went to six mm-hmm. classes. If 50% or less of those were in a special ed setting, they were considered an RSP student. So like students okay. would come to me for English, but maybe for other classes, they wouldn't go to a special setting. Um, And then I ended up transferring it just within my school to a living skills program. So it was a little more self-contained and we worked with students. That's when I got my moderate to severe credential who had more um, needs and needed more supports. And we did a lot of life skills. So I did that for three years and then my daughter came home and I quit (laughs) and I stayed home. A lot of work with the kiddo and teaching. Yeah. I've heard you mention different abilities. Will you clarify kind of what the terminology is right now and what is the most appropriate 
way to, because I know special needs, but I'm kind of thinking that that is maybe phasing out. Mm -hmm. So can you kind of go into that? Definitely. I think the thing about language is it's always changing and shifting with the culture. Um, And so we've seen words that used to be acceptable that are considered completely offensive today, right? Um, I, I started using the term different abilities instead of disabilities maybe four or five years ago. And I think right now it just feels more honoring and inclusive. Like all of us have abilities. Some of us have different abilities. Um, the whole, the whole word disability starts with the dis, right? With the, Mm -hmm. it's a negative thing. Um, special needs is fine, but I think, I think all of us have special needs. So I feel like the word disability, the word special needs and the words different ability are all acceptable. Those aren't offensive words. Um, okay. I think it's more when you're using language, just making sure that you're honoring the person you're speaking about and not mm-hmm. just putting a label or like seeing them as a whole person and not just as a label. So I prefer different abilities and that's the language I use. And I think that might be the direction we're headed. But if people, sometimes people will talk to me and they'll say, my child with a disability. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, Oh no, it's fine. You can <laughs> say that word, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, if I say something (laughs) in our conversation, I want you to correct me because I want to be, I want to be, you know, honorable and respectful towards our kiddos. Um, so what has been, like I said earlier, I've been following you on Instagram and a lot of your posts, if they're not about like actual pictures of your kids, you're talking about how you're advocating Mm -hmm. for your kids. Will you kind of tell us what your perspective as a parent, normally I interview teachers, but I really wanted to talk to you about the perspective from a parent of parenting kids and dealing with kids in the education system when they do have different abilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, It's interesting because I come from an educator, having been an educator. So I have that background a little bit. And I, people ask me if I would teach, if I'd be a different teacher now and I would be a different teacher. And I was so for my students but I would be such a different teacher. I've learned a lot. Um, I think I always say that as soon as my kids with Down syndrome step outside our front door, they're stepping into a world that doesn't recognize their worth. And we're dealing with system systemic issues that are deeply rooted within our society. So, so much so that people don't even recognize um, the bias that they have against people with Down syndrome or people with different abilities. So I think when my daughter walks onto a campus, there's automatic assumptions about what she can and can't do, who she is and isn't. Um, Like people ask things like, well, does she have behavior issues? Well, is she potty trained? Well, can she, does she um, like, usually it's the behavior issues. Is she really stubborn? Things like that. And maybe that's all true, but maybe that's also true about the kid who doesn't have Down syndrome, but no one's going to ask that about that kid. They're just going to assume it about my kid. So I'm, I'm like on a tangent now. I can't even remember the original (laughs) question. (laughs) I was just, well, that's really what my question was, is what has your perspective been in the education system? And and you're saying that you see an automatic bias and it's probably not even intentional on the teacher's end, Yeah, but it's just kind of how we've grown up and seen it and and whatnot. What do you want to see change within the education system? Yeah. So within the education. That's a loaded question. Sorry. Pardon? That's a loaded question. No, I've got an answer. I've got an answer. Um, I, 
the th- same thing I want to see happen in all of society. I want to see happen in the education system. And I want to see an inclusive world. So our education systems, I'm in California and every state is different and countries around the world function differently. But California, for the most part, is a non-inclusive education system, meaning that when it, there's a separate space for people with different disabilities or different abilities, um, there's special education, there's general education. I mean, we could get into like the real details of all of it, but special education was supposed to always be a service and it's now become a place um, and it's become exclusive and non-inclusive. And so I would love to see schools be inclusive, fully inclusive. So what does that look like? It looks like all kids learning together. Um, It looks like collaboration. It looks like people who learn differently, learning alongside one another and definitely having support in place. I think that people sometimes when they think inclusion, they think like with my daughter, for example, we're going to take Mason, who's in fourth grade, who has a hundred sight words, who is still learning to rote count, who isn't writing yet, like all these things. Um, and we're just going to put her in fourth grade and what, so now she's supposed to read at a fourth grade level and what are we supposed to do with her? I think people get a little panicky Mm -hmm. and I think in an inclusive environment, there would be supports in place where there's a time, there's times of day where she would need to be pulled aside, but all the kids, right? I mean, anyone who's an educator, probably 50% or more of your students need some kind of additional support in some way. Um, and so recognizing that and creating those spaces Um, There's some schools around the country that are doing that really well. In California, there's one school that I know of called Chime in Woodland Hills that's built on an inclusive model. So it's a special educator and a general ed teacher collaborating in a way that all kids learn together. Um, I think it's super important because our schools are really in a lot of places, in most places in America, they're like the hub of community Mm -hmm. and people with disabilities and different abilities, they need to feel like a member of their community. So like, what do I want for my kids, all of my kids to feel like they're included, that they're a full citizen of their society, that they're a member of their community. So if my daughter with Down syndrome can't be a full member of her school because she's put into a separate classroom, um, then how can she really be a valuable and full member of her community? So I, it's, it's so hard. (laughs) Because it takes, it's really not about just, we can do it on a small level, like on a micro level with let's set up a way for my daughter to be successful, but really to change a whole school system um, is the ultimate goal. And the places who are doing inclusion well, who have created a system for the entire district or the whole school, every student at the school is learning in an inclusive way. Um, There just, there's a lot of studies that show how that is so beneficial for all kids and sometimes mm-hmm. even more so for kids who don't have different abilities. I like what you said about special education being a service. Mm-hmm. Is that what you said? Not a place. Yeah. I, I really liked that. That kind of like was a light bulb <laughs> for me. So I'm going to ask a vulnerable question. Yeah. Go there. So I can't, I've never had a student with down syndrome in my classroom, but I have had students with autism, Mm -hmm. uh, severe behavior issues, how, and I almost feel like terrible, guilty asking this, but I'm asking you because I think this is probably something that a lot of teachers wonder is what about all the other kids? Mm -hmm. Because 
we want our kids with different abilities to be included, but then does that take away from all of our other students? Mm -hmm. You were referencing some research that sounds like it's showing that it it helps both, but can you kind of, I don't know, that's just kind of one of my questions that I'm having. Can you answer that or give a perspective? Definitely. Um, I think that, that I get that. I think that's a lot of people's like knee jerk reaction. Like, well, what is this going to mean for everybody else? So I think the key word, there's some keywords here. The first keyword is supports. In my opinion, there have to be supports in place for the general ed teacher, for the student with down syndrome. We could talk, just talk down syndrome specifically or the, or whatever. It's going to be a different ability. And if the right supports are in place, um, then there's an opportunity for the other students in the class to grow significantly. And supports for Mason would look like a curriculum being modified pretty significantly. Um, and the other two words that are important when thinking about kids with different abilities at a school is access and opportunity. So are we giving all students on campus access and opportunity? And I believe when you stick kids into a special ed classroom for a whole day, they're, they're lacking access and they're lacking opportunity. Um, and when we remove people who look different and act different and talk different from those who are mostly all the same, then they're, they have a lack of access to people who are different and a lack of opportunity to learn how to be, um, to learn what humanity is. I mean, mm-hmm. if there's like educational, I think in the educational system where we are today and where we're headed, it's so rigorous and there's not time to teach kids the things that really matter. And I think a lot of teachers would agree with that. It's like, there's all the standards and the testing and teachers hearts are, yes, that's important, but I really believe the heart of so many educators is like, let's make great humans, you know, like, let's, how do we make a great human who can, we can put into the world. And if you send a kid into the world who doesn't know how to interact with people who are significantly different, then they're lacking majorly. And so mm-hmm. that's an opportunity for kids. Um, the, the thing about it is, or for kids who don't have different abilities, that's an opportunity for them to grow in their humanity if they are exposed to somebody who is significantly different in the way that they look or act or learn. Um, and then I think that with every case, it's very different. And I think that's also why it feels challenging in the systems in place, because you can't just say, here's step one through 10 for in, including a child with Down syndrome. Um, because the step three might not work for my daughter, you know, like we're going to have mm-hmm. to, we're going to have to mix up the steps. But I think at the end of the day, for educators, you know, like you've got the kid with autism or the kid with severe behavior issues or an English language learner or the child who has dyslexia, like all of those people need some kind of a support. So teachers are already doing these things, supporting Mm -hmm. their students. Um, In my opinion and belief, there's once you get past that initial discomfort, there's no possible way including someone with a disability in your life in any aspect, it's going to take away from you. It's only going to add to you. And so I believe that's the case for school as well. Well, when you point out the ELL and the behavior kid and the autistic kid, like I dealt with all of those in my classroom, Mm -hmm. you know, so why wouldn't I be able to work with a student with a different ability? You know, it would just be that learning curve. Um, But I think, what's stressful for teachers and what's going to take a lot of change in the education system is districts are so tight on their budgets that they don't want to even hire enough teachers to 
handle one class of kids, you know, 25 kids in a class. But I think what you're kind of referring to is an additional teacher in the classroom Mm -hmm. supporting not only students with different abilities, but really all the kids. Right. And I think in in a really great inclusive model, that's built in. You have a, you have a special educator who's trained in inclusive practices, and then you have your general ed teacher who can really like drive academics. And there's a, mm-hmm. there's a good co-teaching happening. And usually if you're doing it well, the students don't know who's who. Everyone's just right. kind of le- all learning alongside each other. And then if you're doing it well, when it's time for like Mason to be pulled out so that she can work on her fine motor skills, also this other kid who has speech is pulled out and this other kid who has whatever. So that no one ever feels alienated. I mean, that's happening in the, where the programs are running really well. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, teachers have, I mean, (laughs) it's a system issue, right? It's not, and that's what I would say. The teachers we work with are incredible people. I'm a huge fan of educators, but I'm also incredibly disappointed in our education system. And so that always feels a little conflicting. Mm -hmm. Um, but I know that I feel like teachers are doing the best they can with what they know. And what I'm asking teachers to do is to try to, to want to know more. And I think oftentimes because of all the pressure and, and because of all the things that a teacher is juggling to, to have us come in and say, oh, I just want you to be flexible and be a learner. Um, it almost feels like there's no time for that. Or, um, even like a, like a jab to the character, even a little bit, um, for some teachers where it's like, well, I, I am that, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I think that it's been it's just been such a long time that people with Down syndrome have been considered less than that. We've just got to change that narrative and people with Down syndrome also wear their disability on their face. And so mm-hmm. like a kid with autism even might walk into a room and there aren't going to be initial thoughts that are negative. Right. But a lot of times a person with Down syndrome walks into a room and initially there's some kind of like a prejudgment that people don't even realize they have. Right. And Mm -hmm. really good people don't even know that this is happening in their subconscious. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's the key to it is being open and learning and hearing more. And that's why it was so important for me to have you on to kind of give words to what teachers are thinking and to help them kind of just be more mindful of that. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about it being like a systemic issue but what are a two to three things that a teacher listening right now could do in his or her classroom with his or her kids mm-hmm. that you would, you would recommend? Um, well, they first would need the opportunity to have a child with a different ability. I, I think, and maybe I'm not going to answer this right and we can revisit the question, but what I always say is when Macy walks into a new room and we started a new school this year and at a new district, so she doesn't know a single person on campus and it's been brutal But the thing, all I want from a teacher is to say, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. I've never had a kid with downs from my class before. I have no idea what I'm doing here, but I'm so excited at this opportunity to learn and grow. Um, I mean, that's what education is, right? Opportunities for Mm -hmm. learning and growth. And so for teachers to have that mentality and to say, hey, let's, let's do this together. And I'm, I'm willing to learn and grow alongside you and alongside my students I feel like that's all we can ask for. We got the best, the freaking best general ed teacher this year. I can't even believe it. It is like such a gift from God. And that is her mentality. She's just like, there's nothing in her that feels like Mason shouldn't be in her classroom. Nothing. 
And that's the first time Mm -hmm. we've ever experienced that. Usually it's like, we're trying to convince teachers how we can make this work. And she's like, has no idea how this is going to work. She's never done this before, but she sees, she sees potential in Macy. I think if you can see potential in every student and see room for growth and progress in every student, um, then that's how we're going to be able to move forward. And I think that's a hard, like soul check really for an educator. I mean, for all humans, like when you see this kid walk in, do you really see true potential for growth and progress? Um, And that might mean for Mason that her progress this first semester might be that she follows the morning routine successfully, right? Like that might be the progress that we see and that's awesome and that's enough. And for other kids in the class, they got it by day two. They're great. But at the end of the semester, if we can say, look what for the first day of school, she couldn't do this. And now she's putting her backpack away. She's putting her lunch away, all these things without any prompts. And to realize that there's so much value in that, that that's such a beautiful thing that she is growing and progressing in her own way. And it doesn't look the same and that's okay. Mm -hmm. I remember learning that as a first year teacher going into the classroom and expecting my kids come on in on this level and they're expected to leave on this level. And I remember a mentor teacher telling me, you have to look at each kid. They may not leave on level, but if they've made growth within the year, then that's what's important. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And, and especially I find this a lot, just parenting a child with, with a different ability within the Down syndrome community, talking to other moms in all areas of life. It's like, we just have to remember that we want to see growth in progress and our kids do things a lot slower than other kids. Um, but they're still growing and there's still progress and let's focus on that and not focus on the can't or the not yet. Mm-hmm. Um, or rather having that growth mindset instead of saying, Oh, this kid can't do this, that, Oh, she's not doing that yet. And instilling that in her with Mason, like Mason doesn't write, she can't write her name legibly. She's in fourth grade. And this is like a pre-K skill, right? Um, but if we if we go towards that with, well, she's never going to do that or she can't write rather than saying, well, yeah, you can't write yet. And if we all maintain that idea of, well, it's just not yet, then she also will have to hold on to that. She'll have no choice. But if we mm-hmm. all just write it off as, well, this is going to happen, well, then what's her motivation to even progress in that area? So continually getting replacing can't with not yet. I like that. That's good. Just a, just a simple shift of wording. Teacher friends, I want to take a second to tell you about my ebook, the simply organized classroom. This ebook is full of tips, tricks, ideas, and resources for you. There's seven different chapters here. I'll read them to you really quick. First chapter is looking pretty classroom layout and aesthetics. Chapter two, the simply organized classroom organization tips. Chapter three, establishing an environment, classroom management plans. Chapter four, staying sane in the classroom, establishing routines. Chapter five is taking back your time, time management techniques. Chapter six, smiles, tears, and fears, tips for first year teachers. And chapter seven is teaching isn't just in the classroom, school dynamics. So I talk about each of those things in the ebook. You can get it by heading over to the Simply Organized Teacher website. Click shop on the top menu bar and you'll see it right there. You can also use the code SIMPLYTEACH to get 10% off any purchases you make in the shop. Will you tell us um, 
Well, first, is there anything else you'd like to tell teachers that you would like to ask of them? I think, yeah, I think I said it just to be open and available and um, open, available, willing, willing, flexible, excited, all those things. And to keep the conversations open. Um, I think I would say real quick with an IEP team, I, we just had an IEP meeting because we've been at our new school for a month now. And I think all educators are familiar with an IEP. Would you feel like all your listeners know what that means? They, okay. Yeah, they okay. should. I hope <laughs> and if, it, if they don't, if it's a new teacher or a, a teacher, not in educate, like, you know, still in yeah. college or whatever, individual, individual education yeah. plan. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So, um, <laughs> We meet with our team and our team consists of like 1 million people, not really, but a lot of people because there's OT, PT, speech, APE, the nurse, vision, principal, administrator, all these people, um, general ed teacher, RSP teacher. So we had a meeting recently and I just said to the team, look, my experience in the past has always been us versus them, like parents versus school, parents versus teacher. And that's not a team mentality. And we have to be a team. Like we have to all be honest with one another, be upfront with one another. I hate the idea. At my, at my school prior to this, the team would all get together. I'd wait in the, in the office, the foyer of the office. And then once everyone was there, then they would invite me back. And I, it's just like, what are you guys talking about before I come back? Like if we are a team, Mm -hmm. then I'm a part of these conversations and realizing there's so much stigma and there's so, for whatever reason, IEP, IEPs and the team and the meetings have a lot of negativity around them. And um, and I just want to always be like, hey, we're for you guys and you're, we want you to be for us and all of us are for Macy. So let's all be for Macy and then let's just function as a team. And we had an incredible meeting Um but that's the first time that we've ever had that. So just like encouraging all the team members that the parents are not the enemies um, and encouraging parents, like the teachers are the educators are not the enemies and let's figure out how to work together. And also saying to teachers, your greatest resource for a kid in your classroom is going to be their parent. And maybe you get mm-hmm. a whack job parent and still <laughs> that parent's your greatest resource. They know their kid in and out. Obviously they have biased and, and they cannot be very objective about who their kid is. And that's fine. But at the end of the day, if you have a question or a concern or whatever, ask the mom and the dad, because they're going to be able to help you out. Don't try to figure it out on your own or create some kind of a bias against the child because you've observed A, B, C, or D. I don't know if that's helpful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I, you say that. And I think about parents I've had where I'm like, their kids are a little bit wackadoodle and then I meet their parents and I'm like, Oh, I get it. I get it. Totally. Now you have a book out already. The lucky few, correct. Mm -hmm. And you have a book coming out soon. Is that right? Next June. Mm -hmm. Next June. June And 19. Um, do you have the title of that book yet? Are you able to share? And it's a book I would love every educator to read. Um, it's called scoot over and make some room. And the subtitle is creating a space for everyone to belong. And I talk a lot about our experience in the education system um, and just our experience, our experiences in spaces all over society, Mm -hmm. really, and the ways. And then my my middle daughter is African-American and Guatemalan. And so we talk, I talk about race too. Um, And just the things that I've learned in the last 10 years with our, with our kiddos. Yeah. 
is that book, like, is there a place we can go online and sign up for like early, what's it called? Pre-order yet or anything? It's not available for pre-order yet, but if you go to theluckyfew.com, you can subscribe to our email list. And then as soon as it's available or follow, people can follow along on Instagram, um, the lucky few official, and we'll have a lot of things popping up there once the, once we can do pre-sale. Yeah. Sounds fun. Uh, what, tell us about your podcast and, and you travel and speak too, correct? Correct. Yeah. So I, so with the, we started this Instagram account, the lucky few official and it, and it took off, it got pretty big. And then that opened up doors for a book opportunity. And then, um, just, I've found myself in advocating for my kids, um, with a lot to say, <laughs> I'm a little bit opinionated. And so I, and I have a lot to say and I liked, and I'm a writer. So I just started sharing things and that's turned into a speaking career. Um, and really our, we have a business or a, a company called the lucky few. And we, my husband and I right now, and maybe, in, maybe by the time this comes out, we'll have an employee, but it's pretty, it's pretty new as a full-time gig. It just got bigger than what we are. So that involves traveling and speaking, um, about these issues. So about, and my kids are adopted, um, really just like encouraging and inspiring people to seek out those in their life who are different than them and recognize the beauty there and the ways in which you can become a better person when you do that. Tell us podcast. Sorry. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Tell us the podcast is called the lucky few podcast and it's myself and I have two co-hosts and we talk all things down syndrome. So it is very much, we talk about potty training and inclusion and therapy and all, I mean, all the things. Yeah. Um, tell us how the lucky few came to be. Cause I've heard you talk about the name. Yeah. Um, I just started when we, when our Instagram account started and then like with hashtags, I started using hashtag the lucky few, meaning few of us have a child with down syndrome or a loved one with down syndrome. And those of us who do are very lucky. And, um, it just kind of became its own thing. So there's like 250,000 hashtags of the lucky few. I just went to a retreat. I was just came home yesterday for moms who have kids with Down syndrome. And there were 400 moms, almost 375 from around the whole nation and a few from um, other parts of the world who came. And every single person there is familiar with the lucky few, but not necessarily with me, which is fine. So it just became this huge thing that got bigger than what we are. Uh, but that's why we call ourselves, that's why our business is, is called the lucky few. That's so fun. And that's fun that you and your husband get to work together now, I think, right. Or is that, (laughs) yeah. Um, will you tell everyone where we can find you so that way they can go and follow you? Definitely. So online, we are the lucky Um, you can get, there's links to my book. There's links to the podcast. There's links to all the things we have some apparel coming out pretty soon. And, um, on Instagram, the lucky few official and Twitter, the lucky few official. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking your time this morning and with all the mishaps with the internet and recording, I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for um, caring about this topic. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Chatting with Heather was such a joy. She was so kind, seriously. My internet went out before recording, during recording. My dogs walked in during the middle of recording. It, it was ridiculous, but I found what she had to say so encouraging. 
the two things that stick out to me the most from this interview are the idea of special education being a service, not a place. I don't know why, but that just like really impacted me. And also the idea of putting students with different abilities into separate spaces in the building. We're not only taking away their access, their opportunity, but we're taking away that access and opportunity from other kids to learn from kids that are different from them. I, I, that was just like one of those blow my mind, never even thought of it that way. What was your key takeaway from this episode? Come find me on Instagram at the Simply Organized Teacher or on Facebook and let me know. I want to open the discussion here. I hope that you will go follow Heather and her dancing family on Instagram. I hope you'll sign up to be notified when her book comes out and make sure that you share this episode with another teacher friend. This conversation is so important and so valuable and I feel like every educator is going to benefit from it. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and I would love, love, love it if you took a second to rate and review the podcast. That is the number one way to help other teachers find the show. And like I said earlier, I may or may not be back next week with a final episode. Uh, We'll see. But if not, happy holidays, Merry Christmas. Enjoy these last couple weeks before Christmas break. Guys, y'all, y'all just got back from Thanksgiving break. I hope that it was restful and relaxing and enjoyable for you. If you're not a teacher in the United States, which now that I'm living outside of the United States, I'm realizing that obviously I knew not everybody celebrated Thanksgiving, but being in a country that doesn't celebrate it, I can't even buy pumpkin pie mix, guys. Anyways, I realize that not everyone is celebrating Thanksgiving. So if you are not in the States, I hope you at least have enjoyed a fall break recently and are looking forward to Christmas break, winter break, whatever it is coming up in a few weeks. I will talk with y'all soon. Bye, guys. Friends, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Simply Teach. Don't forget to head over to the simplyorganizedteacher.com for all the show notes, links to things we talked about, and you can sign up for my email list there. Also, be sure to find the Facebook group because I want to be your social media friend. The fun music you're listening to, that's provided by hooksounds.com. Thank you.